0: or connect with us on Instagram and Twitter, both, underscore, MOV, number two, L-I-V. We're excited to bring you these interviews, and we think you'll enjoy each and every one that we bring you. Welcome back to another podcast edition of Moving to Live. If you were listening to the podcast two weeks ago, you heard the beginning stories of Andrea Leonard, who is a 34-year cancer survivor and specializes in exercise for individuals who are either cancer survivors or being treated with cancer. She talked to us about how she was diagnosed with thyroid cancer as an 18-year-old and how it made a lasting impact on her life. As you heard in the intro, we really believe that movement is part of what makes life complete and it should be a lifestyle and not an activity. We're back with Andrea this week. We're going to talk more specifically about exercise with individuals with cancer and cancer survivors and why that needs to be a specialization as opposed to just say there should be one type of exercise for everybody. So, Andrea, I want to thank you for coming back and talking to Moving to Live Again.
1: Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me again.
0: You mentioned in the interview two weeks ago that in 1995, after you'd been a personal trainer for five years, the suggestion was made that you write a textbook. How scary was that at the time? <laughs> well, actually, I,
1: I think I was the one that suggested it. So I, I, I don't think I realized the, the magnitude of it. I, I mean, the one thing that was, that was very obvious to me was the liability and that we were making recommendations at a time where, for example, the National Lymphedema Network back then said that women who had breast cancer should not lift more than eight pounds. And so in speaking to Dr. Alley, I said, you know, what do you think about this? She says it's, it's preposterous. It depends on the individual. And so this is where we really got into individualized training, individualized assessment, looking at somebody's a level of fitness prior to being diagnosed. And then what their treatment tolerance was, there were so many factors that went into it and that still do. Uh, And that's what's led me to create a much more in-depth course because the average trainer may want to do something good by helping their client with cancer, but unbeknownst to them, they may be doing more harm than good because they really can't possibly understand the idiosyncrasies, all of the intricacies of the treatments, the side effects, both acute and chronic and so on and so forth. So had I known then what I was embarking on, perhaps I would have been petrified. At the time, however, I was excited and I was excited to not only help my mother, I was excited to help other women who I felt were needlessly suffering because many of the things that my mother was dealing with could have been completely avoided, but it just wasn't talked about back then.
0: I know we were chatting before we started recording and I mentioned I had a client who has since passed on who... Exercised while he was undergoing treatment. And I still remember that he would get chemotherapy in the morning and come and want to work out in the afternoon. And my initial thought was, you know, should you be doing this? And he said, I feel better the next day, even though I'm going to be sick. If I go from chemo, to the gym and do a little workout and then go home. He said, I feel better the next day and I recover faster. So sometimes you learn more from the patients than you learn from the textbooks.
1: Yeah, and that would probably be contraindicated and not recommended by the doctor. But there's there's a part where you know I might say to a client, I'm not telling you to do this, but if you feel better and you want to do that on your own, By all means, do. So we have that fine line of liability where as a professional, I can't make that recommendation if I know it's contraindicated, even though that person is telling you, I feel better.
0: He actually actually had his physician on board with it. His physician essentially told him, do what you can do.
1: and that really depends on the physician and when you're particularly when you're looking at somebody who's terminal and I talk about this now with uh, THC and CBD mm-hmm. and any other alternative medicine for for that matter if somebody has stage 4 terminal cancer first off i'd say live it up live your life second off i'd say what have you got to lose and i am now dealing with my mother in the last 3 weeks found out um, so she had breast cancer twice. She also had her thyroid removed and I thought she had thyroid cancer, but she tells me now that they thought it might be, but she's not, it wasn't hundred percent sure. Now she has metastatic breast cancer that's in her lungs or liver, her spleen, and there's a big tumor behind her and wrapped around her heart. So I've been back and forth to Maryland, going to her MRIs and her PET scans and her CT scans and meeting with the oncologist who was my oncologist as well back then. And I find myself saying to my mother over and over, what have, you know, what have you got to lose by trying this, mom? Without being kind of a martyr and saying this is going to kill you because once a cancer patient loses hope then there's nothing left and that's why even if they know that their time is coming the more optimistic the more hope they have that's what keeps you going in fact that's even and and i'm not getting into politics or religion but many people find that religion whatever their religion is it's that comfort of believing that there's something more out there. If you don't have that, then then you're a lot, a lot more scared of what the outcome is. So I was reading a book by, um, what's his name, who just passed away last year, super genius um, in Stephen, the wheelchair.
0: Stephen Hawking.
1: Yes. I read the first 50 pages on the book, and he flat out said, there is no god the universe came out of nowhere and i was like i don't want to read this book anymore because it was just depressing to me so kind of in in the same along the same line we have to have hope whatever your hope comes from you have to have that and i feel that exercise is empowering. It helps you with your self-esteem. It helps you with your self-confidence. It gives you energy. It minimizes treatment side effects. It makes you feel strong, like you're still alive. Why wouldn't everybody prescribe that to their patients?
0: And, and I would think it's however long they're able to work out each day. It's a time that they can potentially forget that, hey, I've got cancer. They can actually, without a doubt. they can without live. Without
1: a doubt, without a doubt, because cancer defines you. And the one thing about having cancer, even though I had very early stage and, you know, essentially I'm cured, the thing that has scared me with my mom is she too had very early stage cancer. And here we are 37 years later and she has it again. So as a cancer survivor, you're always thinking it's going to come back. And every little thing that ails you, you worry that it's cancer. So having something that will take your mind off of it and just produce the endorphins that go along with exercise, that is going to help to improve your immune system, which essentially in the presence of a very thriving immune system versus one that is depleted, there may be less likelihood of cancer or a more, I mean, there's, there's no science to prove that there's just theories and hypotheses that if the immune system is stronger, perhaps one would not be as susceptible, even if they have the gene that maybe it wouldn't be triggered. So who knows?
0: I know the one thing that keeps coming up with the practitioners that I talk with who are outstanding and who do something or do things different than other people is, you know, there are basic physiological principles, but everybody is an N of one. And I think you've hit on that you know, you could have a diagnosis of this cancer is terminal. You never know. You may be that one exception because doctors are not infallible. Tests are not infallible. And I think that that comment on having hope and and doing things that you enjoy doing, and that might help even though they would be considered quote unquote alternative or atypical. If it gives you an extra three months and you love life, that's worth it. Absolutely.
1: Well, I read a book last week called Radical Remission, which didn't tell me anything I didn't already knew, but it put it into a really um, easy to read, easy to understand template, if you will. And the woman who was doing her getting her PhD, she interviewed healers around the world as well as a thousand cancer patients who all had these quote unquote radical remissions, and they all had nine of the same things, and that included facing their cancer head on, and and you know. Not being afraid of it. Um, Love and the uh, oxytocin that is produced when you, you know, the the feel good hormones, Um, not stressing, which when you get into that fight or flight compromises your immune system. And then certain ways of eating, you know, I'm not going to sit here and promote the book, but I found it very, very interesting and compelling. And I would recommend that every single person who has cancer, and quite frankly, anyone who doesn't read it because all of those things are going to make you healthier no matter what.
0: And what? Diet, what, what is the book?
1: Radical remission. That's, Radical. that's what it's called.
0: Yeah. We'll have a link to that in the show notes.
1: Yeah. I, I, we can look up. I, I, I could pull it out and tell you the author. <laughs>
0: we'll, be, we'll be able to find that in the show notes when we do it later.
1: Oh, perfect. Actually, I just found it, but it's Kelly A. Turner, PhD. Awesome. And an amazing book.
0: So, you write the first textbook, and as you said, you maybe in hindsight, uh, it was a more daunting project than you originally anticipated.
1: Yeah, and now it's definitely daunting as I go into the 12th edition, going to exceed 500 pages. But one of the things that has been of the utmost importance to me is that as I put, or as the Cancer Exercise Training Institute puts their stamp of approval on somebody who's passed this coursework, that they that we are, in essence, guaranteeing that they've done the hard work, that they are up to date with the most current information. So they have to retest every two years. They go through, they get the updated manual, and they have to take another 100-question test. And not everybody loves that, but they understand that because even some of the most credible organizations that we've mentioned previously don't require anything other than continuing education but it doesn't matter where that comes from we won't accept continuing education from anybody else and that's not to have a monopoly over it it's because it's got to be cancer specific and this way we control the outcome and we control the knowledge that people are getting so when you go to the directory on our website and look up cancer exercise specialists in your area you know that they they are up to date. Every two years, they are being tested again. Much like, um I would imagine, like a physician and, and their continuing education. It's got to be specific to what it is they're practicing.
0: And I also okay. know uh, one of the physicians I've been fortunate enough to interview for Moving to Live is Dr. Gary Chimes, who has a great way of talking about what he does and, and talking about why things happen. And one of the things that he talks about for people continuing to maintain their knowledge and talking to other professionals is what he calls calibration. So it's Mm -hmm. very easy that if you're, if you take your class and you're living, we'll we'll pick some remote area that somebody would be insulted with someplace way out in the nowhere, you are the only person who is familiar with working with exercise and working with cancer patients. It's very easy to just think for everybody to assume that you're wonderful and tell you you're wonderful. And if you don't have strong self-esteem, You can believe that. Whereas if you continually go back every year or every two years, depending what it is and expose yourself to other people who are doing the same thing, you get a calibration of, Oh, I'm doing this right. Oh, I need to adjust what I'm doing with that.
1: Without a doubt. And, and as I said earlier, I don't, I mean, I, I do consider myself an expert on this subject matter, but I'm in a very niche market and I, I may be the best kept secret in the fitness industry because I really haven't gone out of my way to ring my own bell or try and get exposure. Uh, In fact, two weeks ago, I got awarded the PFP and club industry personal trainer of the year. And that's the first time probably that um, I I was out there in the open for everybody because I've been so focused on writing and on studying and this, this consumes you. It's never ending because cancer is changing day to day. So I don't have time to go out and self-promote. It's it's a constant learning experience, and so now I've kind of backed off on teaching workshops. Everything is more mainstream and online, and I'm doing more uh, symposiums where I'm just going and talking for an hour or what have you. So, um, being part of the MedFit Network, being you know presented at Club Industry, and just uh, just just the. I don't know if you'd call it notoriety, but, you know, through social media and and all of the videos and what have you that I've produced, finally, people are recognizing it. And I'm not looking for personal recognition. What I'm looking for is recognition of the need for exercise as part of cancer recovery. And if I die knowing that I have played a critical role in bringing that to fruition, then I've led a full life. But I hope it doesn't happen anytime soon. <laughs> let's, let's just paraphrase that.
0: I think it's interesting that the comment of just starting to get recognition, and I know you're of a similar age to me, and we remember when there was no such thing as social media. I remember Correct. getting my, my first email address, and I was all excited. And I'm wondering how much the lack of publicity by other people who are have taken the courses or are familiar with it are related to the fact that a, there's a fear of cancer. Even if you know, intellectually, I can't get it by touching somebody or being around somebody. There's still that, Oh my God, this is a person who they're ill. They have cancer. And the other thing is, if we're going to be perfectly honest, if you specialize in treating cancer, it's not that sexy and cool personal trainer.
1: You're you're absolutely right. And I've often Uh, I mean, I've personally, and through the Cancer Exercise Training Institute, trained about 9,000 health and fitness professionals worldwide, but 9,000 compared to the 87,000 trainers that are with ACE or the 50,000 or whatever with ACSM is a small number, and I've often asked myself the same question and cancer can be sexy because sexy people get cancer, but people don't look at it that way. They think of sick and dying and depressing, which it absolutely can be. Um, Also, you have people that don't want to take money from cancer patients, which is another valid argument. And when you look at Idea World Convention, where you can go take all these fun classes on the latest this and the latest that, and then you're like, cancer. So, you know, I presented at Idea World this summer. And I, I had like 75 people in my, in my class or whatever you want to call it, which I thought was actually a pretty good turnout. But if you went to the foam rolling, whatever you call it, there were probably 300 people.
0: It's, a, it's actually
1: way more fun.
0: It's but, actually, when you said that, I was thinking you talked about all the, di- in the first interview about all the different types of fitness, I was thinking there probably would be 500 people if you were teaching a rebounding class, which has now come back and was in in the 1990s when you and I were coming up.
1: Okay, and you can do rebounding for lymphatic drainage, which helps with cancer patients. But what about athletes who get cancer? What about famous people like actors and actresses who get cancer? One out of two people will get cancer in their lifetime. So like it or not, people, this is the future of fitness. And the baby boomers make up the largest market of people that are going to hire a personal trainer and that have the money to do so. So for the young or the novice trainer, maybe cancer's not for you. But working with special populations and aging populations is a huge opportunity both to give back as well as to profit. And even though you're working with cancer patients, this is still your job. You have to make a living doing it. And I one of the parts of the training that I actually um, give people is on marketing and on becoming the next step of the healthcare continuum. So we're not just training them to be cancer exercise specialists. We're also helping them to build their business because giving somebody a certificate and saying, bye-bye, just that, that's nothing. I want to give people a return on investment. And I want more people so that cancer patients in every corner of every city, state, country, province, whatever around the world, have access to somebody. So I just um, signed franchise agreements in uh, Hong Kong and Taiwan and Singapore. So I'm super excited to be breaking into the Asian market. And it's definitely catching on slowly, 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 but surely.
0: How much of that do you think is related to the fact that we are an aging population in the US and more and more people are starting to recognize or know somebody who has cancer and because of all the social media and people having a wider range of friends, whereas you know maybe in the 1980s, you knew a friend whose mom had cancer, but you right. kind of didn't have the Facebook posts, the Instagram posts with the updates. There's a, there's a lot of information that people share out there that I don't think they shared even five years ago.
1: Absolutely. And I think all of those things play a role. Um, there's also so much research. Carrie Cornea is one of the names. Um, out of, I, I believe it's, it's Calgary. I, I could be totally wrong, but he's in Canada and very well known, very well respected on research for, for cancer and exercise. Anna Schwartz, there's a number of people that have been doing research for many years. And although the research has been there, I think, people have not accepted it. It hasn't been in the forefront. And then you have people like him or not, you know, Lance Armstrong, when he came out and, you know, exercise on cancer and you, you started to have famous people who had cancer. It became definitely in the forefront. It was, it was right in front of everybody. You couldn't deny it, but they also gave credibility and perhaps took away some of the fear and they I don't want to use the word glorified it because there's no glorifying cancer, but you see that somebody can A, be a professional athlete, B, be attractive, and C, recover and get back to this vibrant life. That's inspiring. So the people who have put put their names on the line and you know talked about their own cancer, and we see it everywhere. I mean, Christina Applegate, Jacqueline Smith, Cheryl Crow, Lance. You know, some who have survived, some who have not, but they've made it very well known that cancer is affecting everybody. So I don't think there's any denying it anymore. You know, it's not just on the cover of the National Enquirer when you see, um, who was it, Um, Michael Douglas, many years ago, oh, Michael Douglas must have cancer, look at him, he he looks horrible, when in fact that wasn't even necessarily the case. But that was the only thing we saw, was the cover of National Enquirer, which makes everybody look horrible. Now we can see, you know, I mean, all of the magazines (laughs) kind of have their own spin on things, but they dive more deeply into – The social aspect of things, the emotional, the spiritual, the physiological, and there's a science to back it. It's not just speculation.
0: And I think with some of the better lay medias, they're more likely to report on promising studies that people are going to see because they may see it on Facebook or someplace else where the New York Times uh, or some of the more credible websites say, hey, there was just this cancer study released and this is what they found. Mm
1: Exactly, exactly. And Whereas and
0: whereas, when I was in school, if I, if I heard about it, I'd have to go to Medline and I'd have to order it through interlibrary loan. And three weeks later, it would come. And by that time, I would have forgotten about it. And somebody who wasn't in the movement field never would have even heard about that study. Right, right.
1: But it's even after doing this for 23 years, it is still not fully accepted. Or maybe it is, but then you you ask yourself, why is every single physician not referring their patient to a physical therapist or an occupational therapist or a personal trainer or a yoga therapist? What is it? Is it fear of a lawsuit? Is it that they don't believe in it? Or is it that they do refer their patients, but there's no follow through on the patients? Is it that the patients have already been through painful physical therapy or the cancer treatment um, has made their bones and their joints ache, and they're just not motivated. There, there are so many different possibilities. And unless we did a full-blown study on it, we really don't know the answers. But we do know the outcomes and, and the answers to whether or not exercise is effective during and after treatment, and well into survivorship. And people, there are a number, a lot of studies on breast cancer, and one in particular where they studied the longevity of breast cancer survivors who exercised versus those who didn't. And I think it was about a 40% increase for those who exercised versus those who did not.
0: I'm curious, you write the first edition of the textbook, subsequent editions. How do you transition both from just talking about cancer or breast cancer to other forms of cancer. And also the transition from just writing a textbook to having an educational program, because there's a big difference between having textbooks with multiple editions and having an educational program where people actually take tests and come back.
1: Absolutely. Um, I have designed this. First of all, I'm I don't love, I love studying in terms of learning, but I I hate test taking. So I tried to design this in a way that wasn't threatening, that people would feel set up for success as opposed to scared to death of failure. And so the way I break it down is somewhat like a mathematical equation. And let's say we'll go through treatments and that's A and then, or, or surgeries. And then B is treatments and C is lymphedema and D is so on and so forth. And when I'm teaching it or in the PowerPoint presentation or the videos, I explain to the fitness professionals who are the audience, whether they are physical therapists or personal trainers, what have you, I want you to, to think about how this pertains to you as a fitness professional. So as I go through a radical retropubic prostatectomy, where is the incision? How is that going to affect their ability to exercise? How does that compare to a perennial prostatectomy? How does an open surgery compare to a laparoscopic surgery? And I highlight specific things. So it's not so much, you're not going to become an oncologist. You don't need to know how to perform this surgery, but where's the incision? What's the healing time? How do you progress safely? What are the acute and the chronic side effects? And we build on it, like in stages, because anybody who gets the handbooks is overwhelmed period. They get the box in the mail and they open it up and go, holy bleep, 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 because it's a lot of information. So what I do is I try and simplify it, but not minimize the importance of understanding the material. So we go through, what's that?
0: Was the transition from just breast cancer to other forms of cancer because you recognized, hey, this is good for breast cancer. It can be applied. Absolutely,
1: absolutely. My father was also diagnosed with um, bladder cancer and prostate cancer, so that was probably what prompted that. And then he had myodysplastic disease or disorder, and he passed away four years ago. So between my mom and my father and myself, we've had eight cancers. So needless to say, there there was a need for more than just breast cancer. Now breast cancer may be one of the most debilitating. It may be one of the most visibly obvious and, uh, you know, emotional, much like prostate cancer, but somebody wouldn't necessarily know if a man had prostate cancer. Psychologically, it can affect him in the same way that breast cancer affects a woman, but breast cancer is so outward. Um, So, you know, back, back to the whole presenting the information, it's broken into four modules. So there's four handbooks, there's four video modules, there's four tests. And then I do webinars also so that people have the opportunity to ask me questions right then and there. We have ongoing education. So there's a private Facebook group for the cancer exercise specialists, uh, those who've graduated, those who are going through the course. Um, There's a lot of interaction within the group and free ongoing webinars and training. So I don't just leave people high and dry. Um, If somebody has a question about a client they're working with, I, I make myself available. So... One of the reasons I stopped taking clients was I'm really here now. My clients are the trainers who go through the course. And so if they have a question, I am here. People are so surprised when they get me on the phone. They're like, You mean the Andrea Leonard? <laughs> and it, it cracks me up. You'd think they had Madonna on the phone. <laughs> I go, Oh my God, I'm so honored. I'm like, I'm just me. But I want to help people and I want, I feel that their ability to work with this cancer patient is my responsibility.
0: And I, and I mm-hmm. do have to say, when I contacted you to ask you to be on the podcast, you responded faster than anybody I've contacted. It was, <laughs> that, it was less than 10 minutes, so clearly you are at the computer quite often.
1: Yeah, that would explain my carpal tunnel. <laughs> so, But that's that's what I do now. I've really, I've kind of become a desk jockey, so my days are broken up between being at the computer, going to the dog park, being at the computer, doing yoga, being at the computer, you know, and I I sort of just go back and forth. But it's, it's a great lifestyle. And I can do it from anywhere, which is wonderful. Um, You know, at at eight o'clock at night, I start getting the WhatsApp messages from China and Singapore. (laughs) So the day never really ends. But but it's good. And it's
0: rewarding. I realize this next question could be an entire another podcast episode or actually another course for you. But for somebody who's listening to this, who maybe is a movement aficionado, but they're not involved in the personal training field, maybe they haven't been exposed to that many people with cancer. Why is there a need for exercise programming for people who have cancer? Why can't cancer patients and cancer survivors just follow the typical exercise program that most trainers use?
1: Well, that's a great question and hopefully I have a great answer for you. And and also um, kind of, you know, when we talked about other certifications that are more general, you know, like a medical exercise specialist or something, while they are great Let's call them entry level, even though they would be considered a high end personal trainer, they're entry level to each specific special population, like arthritis or multiple sclerosis or cancer or whatever, because there's not enough meat and potatoes for each one. So the answer is no two cancer patients are the same. No two cancer patients uh, share the combination of the same diagnosis, treatment, uh, how they respond to treatment, and how they recover. Therefore, there are no cookie-cutter cancer workouts. And even some of the the most credible programs that are out there, many of whom have spun off of, of what myself and Eric Dirac and Rocky Mountain Cancer started in 1995, they're so generic I have their books, and I'm somewhat floored when I open them up and just see, you know, these little a little paragraph on lymphedema or a little paragraph on cardiomyopathy. When I get into pages and chapters on how to identify it, how to manage it, how to prevent it, and there's no shortcut here. There, there is absolutely no shortcut. So while you can do it in a group class. And some people, it's kind of like curves. Although there may be some dangers to people who are deconditioned, uh, absolutely unfit and have perhaps special needs, there may be dangers for them going through a relatively unsupervised circuit. The majority of them are more at risk of dangers from lack of exercise. So perhaps that's the same thought process Even with cancer, like, well, at least we're getting people moving. But we can do so much more by understanding each of the components of treatment, of surgery, and of the acute and chronic side effects that when we can individualize a program or even in a group setting, be able to maybe meet with somebody for a half hour prior to them going into a group, I feel that the outcome is going to be much better than it would be just okay everybody let's go let's go let's go but not everybody in fact the majority of people not that they would disagree with me but it's not a money maker so you know you know unfortunately we're still talking big business here and if we can sell more courses and cover 25 special populations instead of one what's going to make more money
0: That's why you frequently see the most successful personal trainers, the most successful physicians as far as happiness or those who are involved in, I hesitate to use the word, but boutique businesses where they can specialize and become true experts in it. Right. And if they do something very, very well, all of a sudden they end up with more than they expected.
1: Without a doubt. And, you know, if if you wanted to talk to me about multiple sclerosis or even, you know, recovering from uh, a heart attack or episode, although I've got all this experience as a trainer, and I know a great deal just in working with cancer patients because there's so many comorbidities, I would probably not take those clients because I have to give so much focus to cancer. There's no room for anything else. It's like, you know, my cup runneth over. So, to to be a jack of all trades, master of none, um, has never been my goal. Did I anticipate that this would be my career? No. And there have been many times, including three weeks ago when my mom was diagnosed, you know, with metastatic breast cancer, that I was just throwing my hands up, going, "Why? Why am I doing this? Why?" And when I dig deep inside of myself, what my reason is, and, and many people who are going to choose this as a career path will, will probably do some, some you know, self-evaluation and, and you know, introspection as, as well, is that had I not walked the path, had I not lived you know, watching my parents being diagnosed, watching them decline or go through the treatments, had I not known what it was like to hear, you have cancer. I would not be able to do what I do. So while there are other much larger, larger organizations now that may provide some variation of a cancer course, one of the things that I hear quite often is, Andrea, the Cancer Exercise Specialist, the Cancer Exercise Training Institute is you. And we see your passion, we feel your passion, and that's what sold us on this course. Because you're so dedicated to it. And that's really, really important to me because at, at whatever time I would become so shallow that it was just about making money, I deserve to retire. Cause this goes well beyond just making money. Or I would be in my chalet and veil. <laughs> this is this is my faux, faux chalet that my husband built for me on top on our top of our hundred-year-old house is. I, I now have an office that looks like like a ski lodge because that that's my happy place.
0: I think it would be fair to say that you wouldn't be where you were today or had the opportunities if you hadn't been diagnosed with cancer 34 years ago.
1: I I agree. I I have no idea. I'd probably be a gun wielding CIA <laughs> somewhere. So thank God for cancer. And that that's another thing that so many people and I never understood it. So many people with cancer say, cancer saved my life. It's because for those who aren't given a death sentence, which the majority are not, um, you know, for those of you who think that working with cancer patients means you're going to lose everybody, absolutely not true. Most people are going to thrive. Um, But when they say cancer saved their life, many people had bad habits and, you know, didn't exercise, didn't eat right, smoked, drank, whatever. And it was a cancer that was that rude awakening, but the eye-opener that gave them the rest of their life um, to change and be healthy and perhaps live a longer, more vibrant life that they would not have otherwise.
0: We've had the good fortune to be talking to Andrea Leonard, who's a 34-year-old cancer, excuse me, 34-year cancer <laughs> survivor. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> Well, I, I just saw today that there is a Danish man who has sued to change his age from 69 to 49.
1: All right, the, cool. Danish
0: courts. So, you know, it's, it's coming. All right. So, but nice. we've had the good fortune to talk to her. She's the president and founder of Cancer Exercise Training Institute. I think the last uh, few minutes of the interview, she's done a great job of explaining why it's important if you're in the movement field to understand. The differences between dealing with individuals who either have cancer or are cancer recovering from cancer as compared to a typical population. I think she's done a great job of showing what can happen if you are somebody who recognizes, I want to do something different or better. And above all, I think she's done a great job of showing that if you really enjoy what you're doing, even though you work hard, it still can be a really enjoyable experience. Andrea, I want to thank you for helping Moving to Live break down knowledge silos. And I hope there are some personal trainers or people out there listening and recognizing that movement is for everybody, not just people who are healthy or are regular exercisers. So thank you for taking the time to talk to us.
1: And thank you for bringing this to light.
0: Thanks for listening to the latest episode of Moving to Live. Make sure you check out the show notes for contact information for our latest guest, as well as links about all the things we talked about. Intro and exit music is Traveling Light by Jason Shaw. You can subscribe to Moving to Live on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play, and be notified about new episode releases. Have any questions, comments, or suggestions? Drop us an email, mov2liv at gmail.com. Connect with us on Twitter or Instagram, both, underscore, MOV, number two, L-I-V. Please tell your friends about Moving to Live. It's a go-to place for information for movement and exercise professionals and amateur aficionados who understand that movement is part of what makes your life complete. Until next week, keep on moving.